Well, I finished the book of Nahum. And I felt inclined, uh, I, I, I would ask for your prayers in the next book that I will actually preach through. I'm not starting it today because I don't know what it is yet. So pray for me in that. But after preaching through Nahum, if you remember, if you were here, it was a lot of judgment. And so I'm going to change gears a little bit today and bring the other side of that. So if you want, if you would, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30 is where we're going to start. And while you turn there, I'm going to pray. Father, I, I thank you again for, for your many blessings to us, for the peace that you give us in the midst of turmoil, for the strength you give us when we are weak, for the comfort you give us in our in our in our troubles, God, I just pray, Lord, that that would be the message today. God, I pray for your spirit, for you to deliver this message as without you, without your power, it is futile, it is fleeting. But God, I know with this power of your spirit that this message can actually encourage and equip your saints and it can it can bring people to salvation only through your strength and your power. So I ask for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I attended a funeral yesterday, and I'll attend another one on Tuesday. And as I was reflecting, the funeral yesterday was actually well, well done. The gospel was proclaimed clearly. I was very appreciative of that. She she was a teacher at Stratford that retired a few years ago, and she was very much an amazing woman and a Christian. And the funeral was not extremely sad because of that. And that's a blessing to God's people. Um, but as I, I was just thinking about funerals, and we're a young church, and, and praise God that we haven't had a lot of funerals here. We've had a whole lot more weddings than we've had funerals. We've had a whole lot more babies than we've had funerals. And that's a blessing. You realize that's not the case with a lot of congregations today. I know a lot of people that attend a lot more funerals than they do weddings. And and that's reality. So as I, I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, we're still living in this cursed world. And there is still death. There are still hardships. And even though that funeral yesterday was, it was very much an honor to God and His glory that He had done in this lady's life. And it was a, it was a celebration of, of her and, and her personality and, and just the unique things about her. I thought about it as I left. The world will just keep on going, but for her family, there's still much sorrow. Because we're still on this earth, and they're going to miss her. And it'll be the same way Tuesday. And and I just thought, we we are in a need of God's grace renewed daily. We're in a need of His comfort renewed daily. And so that's what we're going to look at today. 1 Samuel... Chapter 30, and we're going to read verse 1 through 6. Now it happened 
when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that the, Amal- the Amalekites had, inva- had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam and sorry, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. So, so let me just give you a quick overview of the situation that's going on. In this period of time in Samuel, David is running for his life from the king, from Saul. He's out there. He's got 600 men with him, but he is completely with, he's basically a person without a country. Saul is against him, trying to kill him, and he had just went, in the chapters previous to this, he had went and actually tried to ally with the Philistines, because he was, he was not going to survive on his own, he thought. And they denied him, so Israel doesn't want him, the Philistines doesn't want him, he's this, this man with a small army out there on his own. And as they return, all of their wives, all of their children are in this city. And he returns back to Ziklag. And it's burnt to the ground. And you got to picture this. When he's coming back, you can, you can, they rode for three days. I think if you look at the map, that averages out about 25, or they marched or rode both. They, they marched for about 25 miles a day. That's a lot, moving an army of 600 men. That is covering some ground. These men were exhausted. You know they were ready to get home, and as they approached, they could see smoke on the horizon. What does that do to you? Immediate fear, immediate concern. Rushed to the gates, what would have been the gates, they're burnt to the ground, nothing's there, nobody's there. Total despair. Their wives and children are gone. They were taken by the Amalekites. Do you know in the previous chapters, David had raided several Amalekite villages, and when he did, he killed everybody there? Do you think they had an axe to grind? Do you think David is concerned at this time, can you imagine what David is thinking is happening to his wives at this point? And then, to, so David is the leader. David's in charge, and to make matters worse, now his own men are starting to turn on him. They're talking about stoning him. They're talking about it's all his fault. We've chose to follow him, and look at this. We have nothing but total despair. We have nothing left. Let's kill him. The whole thing was unraveling before his eyes. It was total despair. Verse 4 says they, had no, they wept until they had no more power 
to weep. That is a hard cry. That is at the bottom of the barrel, right? That's hitting rock bottom is where they are. Total despair. But I didn't read it, but look at the end of verse 6. And like I've said before, but, one of the greatest words in the Bible. You have all of this stuff from 1 through 6, all of this despair, all of these things, all of these terrible things happening, but... Right? But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And the rest of the chapter, when you read it, is actually about God restoring all of this. David didn't know they hadn't been killed. David had no idea what was happening to all of the, all of the women and children. And neither did the other men. He, he just knew they were gone. And if you read the rest of the chapter, they go and God providentially directs them and they find them and they take them back and everything is okay. But the the main point here is David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And that raises the question, how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God? How did David strengthen himself in the Lord his God? Turn with me to Psalm 59. This psalm was written by David in around the same time. It was was in the period where Saul was seeking his life, and that went on for a while. But listen to Psalm 59. I'll read verse 1 through 5. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold, you therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. And then skip down to verse 9. It says, I will wait for you. O you, his strength for God is my defense. You, God, are my fortress. How does David strengthen himself in the Lord? The simple answer is he turns to the Lord. See, David found himself in a place that there was no one else there to help him. He found himself in a place with no one to offer him comfort. No one to offer him a hand up. It was just him and God. All of his men had turned against him. All of his wives, all of his family was gone. There was no country There was no king to help him. It was him and God. Psalm 40, verse 4 says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. God had brought David to a point where he had nowhere else to turn, and that's who to. So David didn't turn to his fellow men. He didn't turn to the 600 men he had and say, 
We can go conquer all. He didn't turn to himself and say, I'm the one that killed Goliath. I'm the one that killed the bear. I'm the one that killed the lion. And I'll kill these Amalekites too and I'll take back the women and children. No, he didn't do that. Turn over to back to Samuel in chapter 17 this time. 1 Samuel Samuel 17, starting in verse 34. And this is is very familiar to most people. This is David and Goliath, right? Goliath is down there taunting them. David comes along, this shepherd boy, and says, I'll fight him. And his brother's mad at him. You arrogant little kid, what are you doing? But listen to what David says in his answer when he's making the case that I'll go fight this Philistine. In verse 34, But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Look at verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David turned to God. Do you think when David was strengthening himself and the Lord his God you think he thought about those times? Do you think he thought about that time when he was just a little boy? And there's a lion. Has anybody ever been out in the woods when you're young and hear something? You don't even have to see something and, and you got scared. I spent a lot of time in the woods when I was young. And I got scared a bunch of times. I never told anybody. Way too tough by the time I got home. The neighbor's dog came at me one time, and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> this is a young shepherd boy taking a lamb out of the mouth of a lion, out of the mouth of a bear. You think he doesn't know what it is to be strengthened by God? You think he doesn't remember those times? And I think to ourselves, why do we forget so quickly what God has done before in our lives? He pulled us out of the muck, Christian. You weren't looking to be saved. You were enjoying your sin. And he says, no, I'm not going to let you squirm anymore. I'm going to pull you out of that. And I'm going to give you new life. And I'm going to give you eyes to see and a heart to love things that are good. And now we get into tough times. We get into tough situations And all of a sudden we get despaired? David strengthened himself in the Lord by simply turning to the Lord in his time of trouble. And the reason I I feel God put this message on my heart is that I know, I know there are many saints who are in need of comfort. 
There are many soldiers who have come to a place spiritually where they feel like David did at Ziklag. I've felt that. I've been there. We've been in a spiritual place where you're just dry. There's just no, you just don't feel like there's this passion that you once had in Christ. You're spiritually dry. Well, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We were, t- we were looking at this section of Scripture Wednesday night with the youth as we're learning how to study. We're learning how to break down Scripture in the Bible and this was the example that we used. We we're looking for repetitive words. So I'm going to read verses 3 through 7 and look for the repetitive words in this as Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffered. For if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation." And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. The common word that we were looking for in that is comfort or consolation. And so we're going to look at a few of these verses. We're going to break this down. Blessed be the God. This is verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And the how he starts this section is critical. How he starts this section is of utmost importance if you're going to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. He starts it with blessed be God. Blessed be God. The word blessed is an amazing word. It, can, it means a whole lot of things. When he's talking about blessed be God, it means well spoken of, praised, hallowed, admired, loved, glorified. We want to exalt God in our hearts and emotions. John Piper said this about this section of scripture. He said this entire section of encouragement is folded into worship. Don't you think that's what David did at Ziklag? Isn't that what David was all about? He made some mistakes. Man, he fell on his face at times. And guess what? So have I. And so have you. But God said David was a man after his own heart. And it wasn't because he was so strong. It wasn't because he was so brave and he went and fought the giant. It wasn't because he could fight a lion and a bear. No, it was because when he was alone 
with God, he turned to God. When he was in despair, he turned to God. When he found himself in sin, he repented and turned to God. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. It was because God had given him that heart. So let's consider this. If you're in a place where you are afraid, if you're in a place where you feel troubled, if you're feeling attacked by the enemy, take to praising God. Get your eyes off of yourself and put them on the Savior. Put them on Jesus Christ. Bless His name. Magnify His name. Luther said, come, let us sing a song and startle the devil. You remember when Paul and Silas got locked up in the, in the jail in Acts? It looked kind of like a similar situation to David, right? If you're thinking like we think, these guys are thrown in prison. Here I am doing everything you wanted me to do, Lord. And what do I get for it? Prison. And let me tell you something. Prison at that time wasn't like prison now. And not that it's great now. It's not. But it was rougher then. A dungeon, right? And what'd they do? They started singing hymns. We can see throughout history, Christian martyrs going to be burnt at the stake and they're singing hymns. What does Satan do with that? That infuriates him. He can't do anything with that. He's thrown everything he's got at you, every fiery dart he has, and you're singing hymns. You're praising God. You're, you're magnifying the name of Jesus in the middle of this attack. Spurgeon said this. He said, if you sit down and groan and complain against God, your groans will be music to Satan's heart. Let us remember that. It starts here. It starts here. You want to strengthen yourself in the Lord, your God? Turn to Him. Bless His name. Magnify His name. Remember who He is. He's the Creator. The Father of all. Now look at the next part of that verse. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The Father. The Creator. The Creator of mercies. Through Him all mercies flow not some mercies not even most mercies all mercies flow through god it says he's the father of mercies the god of all comfort and again all comfort comes through him if you find comfort in something other than god it is fleeting it will not last i remember a brother his name is jack burwell Few of you in here may have met him. He was a missionary in Bangladesh for a while. He, he lives in Montana, I think, now. But anyway, he was telling a story. He was out on the street witnessing. And um, he's trying to just open up a conversation with this guy. And the guy says, no, you know what? I don't need any of that. I have Everything's really good. And he's walking off. And Jack says, it won't last. The guy turned around and he goes, it won't last. And it, it struck the guy enough to where they had a gospel conversation. Because that's the thing. 
all things that you find comfort in that aren't Jesus Christ will not last. You may be in a point right now where this is not hitting home with you. You may be thinking, I don't have any struggles. I got it made. Everything's going really good. We're living in a fallen world. It won't last. Sickness still exists. Death still exists. Persecution still exists. And if they persecuted Jesus, they'll come after his people. If they persecuted the apostles, they'll come after us. And many of you know this because you've endured it, at least to some degree. If you find comfort in anything else, it will not last. What could it be? Wealth. Many find comfort in wealth. Many find comfort in health. At some point, the health is going to fail. And the wealth can only, and then at that point, wealth can do nothing about it. People find comfort in entertainment, in their family, in their job. All of this is fleeting. But the God of all comfort will stand. I mean, think about David. David had all of that. And he shows up at Ziklag and it's all gone. And it's just him and God left. Now look at verse 4. So the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so just something to keep in mind here. This is Paul writing. One who is much acquainted with tribulation. Right? This is one who rarely knew if he was going to be dead the next day. His enemies were many and they were cruel. But yet he's writing this to have much comfort. He needed comfort and he received it in abundance. He received it in so much that he can share his comfort with others. And what we learn from this verse is that our tribulation, our suffering, our experience in this life of trouble has the purpose of comforting those who will come after us in Christ. So whatever trial you're going through, I, I want, dear Christian, whatever trial you are going through, I want to point out three things Three truths about that trial. Alright, the first is this. The God of all comfort and mercy is with you in this time of need and will provide for you. It is promised. Whatever you're going through, and I don't know, I mean I know some. I know some things that you're going through and some may not even be open. It may be a spiritual battle that's going on in your life. It may be trying to overcome sin. You may be dealing with persecution from family members. You may be struggling with wayward children. You may have parents that you wish to be saved. You may have a sickness. I don't know. You may have financial troubles, but whatever trial it is, this much I can promise you for a Christian, the God of all comfort and mercy is with you in this time of need, and he will provide for you. The second thing is this. Someone else has experienced something similar. 
another Christian, another brother or sister has been through this fire, and many times this is exactly how God of all comfort will comfort you. You may need to seek that person out. You may need to find them and say, hey, didn't you, didn't you go through this? And it'll be amazing. I, I read a story. Um, Johnny Erickson Tata had written this. If you don't know, she's been in a wheelchair for, gosh, a long time. I don't know. It was an accident she had, and she's been in a wheelchair for a long time because of that. And there was a, a lady that had went through a car wreck and found out she was going to be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. She was in therapy. And all of the therapists would talk to her and they would give her all the stuff that they had been trained to give her. And they're telling her all these things and trying to encourage her and trying to bring her out of these depths of despair. And they, none of it was doing any good. She was downcast. And Johnny Erickson Tata says, they told me about her and I rolled in with my wheelchair. And she rolled her wheelchair right up by that other lady. She said, we just wept. She said, that lady cried and I cried. She said, I knew what she was going through. Words was not going to fix it. She needed somebody to weep with her. And then the healing process started. Johnny Erickson taught her when she was put in that wheelchair, she had no idea how many people that she would be able to help that were in that same situation. So the second thing is someone else has experienced something similar. And that's how God will bring you comfort is through that person. And the third thing is this. There will come a time when you are called upon to help someone else go through the same storm. And this, take comfort. Take comfort, brothers. Take comfort, sisters. It is quite possible that your experience in this trial and your ability to comfort others will one day lead others to Christ. And the angels will rejoice in heaven over that. Take comfort. Dear Christian, your trial is not your own. You don't have to bear it alone. The God of all comfort and mercy will be there with you. Look at verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. The sufferings of Christ here is not talking about the sufferings he bore while on the cross. Okay, The sufferings of Christ here is talking about the sufferings of Christ through his people. Turn over to Acts chapter 9. Another very... Familiar passage, Saul is on the road to Damascus, God intervenes, intercepts, knocks him off his horse, calls him to repentance. And I'm just going to read verse 3 through 5. He says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Jesus was already ascended into heaven. How was Saul persecuting Jesus? He says, why are you persecuting me? Well, who was Saul persecuting? The Christians. He was persecuting the church. He was persecuting the bride of Christ. And that's what it's talking about back over here in Corinthians. The sufferings of Christ. These sufferings are not your own. If you are married, you understand this. When your spouse goes through something hard, you go through it with them 100%. You wish you could take it from them and you can't. You can't take it all on you. But Jesus can. You don't have to do this. He is the great comforter. And it says, look look at what it says. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Sufferings go up, comfort goes up. As these sufferings abound, so does the comfort. In other words, the more hardships that come on a Christian, the more comfort that God will give him through Jesus Christ our Lord. I was reminded of Justin Peters, if anybody's ever heard of him. He, he's a brother that has spoken out greatly against the Word of Faith movement. And the reason he has is because he was born with cerebral palsy. And if you ever hear his testimony, he gives a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of things that happened. People tried, there was this healing revival and they told him he was going to be healed and all of these things and he wasn't healed. And at the end of it, he says, because of my cerebral palsy, I have known God in ways that I would never have known him otherwise. Those are real trials. And so these trials that you have bring you closer to Christ. If you've experienced this, you know it's true. You've experienced the truth of this. So as the suffering comes, so does the comfort. As the suffering comes, you get to know Jesus better. And is it not worth it? And then look at verse 6. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Again, we see he's repeating the the purpose in our afflictions. Like in verse 4, the afflictions of Christians will be used for the benefit of other Christians. And does that not help? Does that not help make sense whenever there's times when you think there is no way to make sense out of this tragedy? There is no way to make sense out of what has happened to me. But if you can know that God will use that to help another, what if you know that God will use that to save another? To bring somebody out of the depths of hell and bring them into the kingdom of God. Is it worth it? That's what he's saying is going to happen. Paul says, my affliction is for your consolation and even salvation. And this goes for us as Christians as well. Whatever affliction you bear is for the consolation of other believers. Whatever affliction you bear can be used of God to bring unbelievers to Christ, to bring them to salvation.
And we see the purpose of God's comfort is the same thing. When God comforts you in your affliction, that comfort will be used for consolation and salvation of God's people. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. I know, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and on all things I have learned, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So your affliction is for comfort. When God comforts you in that affliction, it's that time of a base, but it serves for the glory of God. And when God comforts you, it's that time of abounding and it serves for the glory of God. Romans 8.28 tells us that all things work together for good to those who love God. He's not putting you through a trial for no reason. He's not putting you through a hard time, persecution, sickness, any of those things for no reason. They all have a purpose, and it's for the good of His people, for those who love God. And so, one more place, we'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do not lose heart. This man is fading. This body is dying. But we do not look at the outward man because inward we're being renewed. We're being renewed day by day. And you notice he says there, we go through light afflictions. This is Paul saying this. Paul was beaten. Paul was stranded in the sea overnight. He was shipwrecked on an island, got bit by a snake, put in prison, and ultimately killed for his faith. And he says these are light afflictions. Light afflictions. They may not seem like it. And they certainly don't feel like it. And whatever you're going through certainly does not feel like a light affliction. But the Bible says it's a light affliction. And the God and Father of comfort and mercy is working through these times for the good of our brothers and sisters and for the good of you. And he is building in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory.
And we can take comfort in that. We can take comfort in that. 